All right, guys, our next guest is like a professor when it comes to combat analysis. You know his excellent work from his channel, Full Reptile, and his phenomenal interviews, fight previews, reactions, live streams, as well as, of course, his great work on BT Sport with the Dan Hardy Breakdown Show. He is kind enough to join us here once again with some funky glasses to really get us ready for UFC 260. Look at this. Dan Hardy, man. Welcome back to Submission Radio. This is a pleasure, dude. How are you guys? We're making this quite regular now, aren't we? I know. This is a, this is a thing. We're going steady, man. Uh, I think this is a pretty happy relationship. But you got to explain to us what's with what's going on with these glasses. This is uh, is this like a new tradition? Like when you had the visors that you would go um, get from Fremont Street in Vegas. <laughs> I've got a visor. I can grab the visor. It's just hanging up over there. Now these are. Uh, it, I've been in the studio all day. We've done podcasts and I've recorded uh, three war rooms today. But these are actually my uh, my Fight Island hotel. These were in the mini bar. Ah. See the there we go. W hotels. Yeah. So I've got I've got like three or four pairs. I used to I used to take them out the mini bar all the time. It was like they were like six six dollars or something. But they're just good after I've been under the lights all day. I can kind of just dim the lights a little bit and give myself a bit of respite. <laughs> nice. How many robes do you have as well from the Fight Island? There's oh, got to be like twenty robes, right? Yeah. Yeah, a whole yeah. wardrobe. I'm actually having the house extended so I can fit more robes in. <laughs> a yeah, Dan room. Pants to the left. There's like the mini fridge. Uh, there's some some nice statues from his room. I love it, man. I love it. We're definitely on the same page as well with you. Let's get into the card, man. There's so much to talk about. Um, first of all, let's start here. What do you think about this matchmaking with uh, Kamzat Shemayev, of course, fighting Li Jing Lang in this three-rounder? Um, obviously, Hamzat's been gone for a while. He's had to deal with uh, COVID, he had some adverse reactions, and now he's going up against the number 11th ranked uh, Li Jinliang. Um, do you like this move? Do you think this is a good uh, matchmaking move by the UFC after Hamzad's been gone for quite some time? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you could bring him in against anybody lower ranked, to be honest, because the expectations on him are so high. Uh, and I think, you know, if he is going to settle at welterweight, then the leech is a good, you know, it gives us a good idea of where he's at without waiting around too long you know like the leech is a is a a tough individual he takes a shot well he's always eager to fire back as soon as someone's throwing towards him which you know it, what that's what we need against someone that like hamza we need someone that's game i mean mershart was was closed down so quickly that we didn't really get to see any of his game and you know the two boys before john phillips and reese mckee they just didn't have enough to offer in the grappling range and I don't know whether that's going to be the case with the leech either. He might find himself in the same situation. Um, but he's game for sure. And he's proven against, you know, top flight opponent. He's coming off a big win over Ponzinibbio. So mm. it puts it puts Hamza in a good position. My, my only question is, you know, how is he after COVID? You know, he was talking about retirement a few, uh, you know, a few months ago. Mm. So I, I hope he's healthy because expectations are so high that it would be very easy for him to fall short. And, you know, that's that's not a nice thing when you're only 10 fights in. I mean, this is his 10th pro fight. He's, he's not really been going very long. Yeah, I know. Well, especially with, uh, you know, the whole motto of uh, it's easy, brother. I just smash everybody. Um, <laughs> I just smash. Yeah, exactly. Just smash for it. Um, yeah. Smash S-M-E-S-H. Uh, but also, like, it's good that it's not a five-round main event, you know, like with, with COVID kind of attacking his lungs. Uh, you don't really want him 
being tested that much too soon. You know, there was the talks of the Rockhold fight at one point. So I love this matchup, uh, but let's let's assume, you know, he's all right after COVID. What are sort of the biggest questions that you have around surrounding Hamza? Because, you know, with the Leon Edwards matchup and just in general, the next fight, people wanted to know things like, all right, what's his endurance like, say, in the later rounds? What is his ability to, you know, go through adversity and take a shot? What for you is the biggest question surrounding Hamza that you're hoping gets answered this weekend? Well, I mean, I'm hoping that the leash has something to offer in way of takedown defense because, you know, Phillips and, and McKee didn't have anything for Hamzat. They weren't off, able to offer anything back either. So I, I do want to see someone that's able to at least, you know, make him work harder for a takedown. The, the other thing, you know, Mershaw, I didn't expect him to do that. I, you know, I expected him to quite happily be on his back. So um, I didn't think he was going to try and slow Hamzat's wrestling game down at all, more be accepting and then try and sub him off his back. Whereas the leech, he really doesn't want to be on the floor. Like I don't see any benefit in in uh, Jing Liang being on the floor, top or bottom, really, with with Chimaev. I think the best thing for him to do is to to keep it on the feet, plant his feet, and slug it out. And if he can stuff a couple of uh, Chimaev's takedowns, then that's where the leech comes into his own because he does take a hell of a shot. And we know he's got he's got you know rocks for fists as well as a, a head mm. full of rocks. That that's the kind of person that will push Chimaev if he can keep him on the feet, but. I don't know. I mean, honestly, I, I'm caught up in the same thing. My expectations of him are very high. I, I, I don't think the leech is really going to have much to offer as far as wrestling. And I do think that Hamzat's going to be able to overcome him fairly comfortably. Um, I, I would be surprised, to be honest, if, if the leech is able to, to really push him in, in any range. Um, but then I might be falling into the same trap as, as other people and, and expecting a lot from Chimaev. But I, I do think it's warranted. It's going to be very fascinating just to see where Kamzat's at. And also, like you mentioned, man, the leech, what a huge win for him this would be as well. This would really sort of push him to the next level in terms of popularity. Obviously, we already know he's a very tough fighter. Um, if things do go to plan for Hamzat this weekend, though, what do you think his future looks like? I mean, the welterweight division is very, very packed. Um, there's not a ton of new and fresh contenders there for a Kamaru Usman. Obviously, Colby's having this rematch. Burns already lost. Jorge's lost twice. There's Leon. But if Jorge beats him, then that derails him. And obviously, Stephen Thompson, but he needs a win. Kiesa lost. Uh, Vicente is up there, but he's hoping for Nate Diaz. So, uh, true or false, Dan, that if Kamzat Chimaev comes out there and uh, puts on a crazy, crazy performance, somehow, in some crazy turn of, of way, he could possibly even fight for this welterweight belt at some point in 2022. You know, with the way things are going right now, it won't surprise me if he's fighting for the interim belt in in, uh, in his next fight at all. Um, and I think it would be very odd, especially given how difficult it was for Leon to even get close to it. Um, <laughs> so it would be it would be a bit disappointing if that was the case because it would just devalue the whole division. But I, I think there are there've got to be a couple of guys willing to to step up and take him because. I mean, you know, someone like a like a Vicente Luque or a Neil Magny or, you know, someone that's that's, you know, we know how they compare with the with the top of the division. I mean, Neil Magny's up there in the in the, the, the rankings for, you know, control time and takedowns and those kind of things like that might be a, a good matchup. And I remember Magny saying that he would take that fight. So that might be an, a next logical step. We, we need to move him forward, but not not throw him right up there at the top straight away, because. You know he's got so much potential, and we don't want to we don't want to waste these guys' potential. Like I, I'm a bit, con I was a bit concerned with Cyril Gann because he's still early in his career. 
you know, it might be a bit too soon for him to be, uh, you know, to be contending up at the top of the heavyweight division. But that's the way of the sport right now. If you're exciting and, and people want to watch you fight, you get doors open to your left, right and center. Um, I just hope the right door's open to him. And I don't think he needs to be anywhere near a title shot for his next like two or three fights. It's also a bit of a strange situation in the division in the sense that Ali Abdelaziz obviously manages kind of like the top guys in the division, Luke, Usman, Burns, and now Chimaev. It's kind of one of the first, I think, that I can think of situations where you've kind of got one guy managing all these fighters that are all trying to fight each other. Do you kind of find that kind of fascinating? Because a big part of getting these title shots and interim fights and stuff like that is getting the right deals done. But here you have sort of one guy making all the deals for all the fighters, I guess, kind of. <laughs> it's a weird situation. Well, he's, you know, he's, he's put himself in a very, in a very strong position, just generally in the sport. I mean, you know, you, you've got to think that a manager that, that is able to, he's able to recruit fighters as quickly as him has got to have good relationships, both directions. And the most important thing is a good relationship with the UFC. Cause I mean, that is a difficult thing to do, especially as a manager. Like your job is to ask for what the UFC don't want to give you, which is more money. So I, I don't know whether he's he's developed such a relationship with the UFC where he knows he knows how how much to push his luck but not to push it too far and and you know he get, and he gets you know he gets looked after because of that maybe that's the case but it, it puts him in a very powerful position in in the sport and in the UFC if ever he was to decide that he wanted to you know go a different direction he he would take a lot of fighters with him um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, he could start his own organization <clears throat> tomorrow if he took all his talent. He's got like 50% of the mm. roster on his client there list. Ali <clears throat> FC. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so uh, continuing with this whole – this is like a Europe versus the world, this card, basically. Um, <laughs> I, I, I love it. And continue with that theme, <clears throat> you've obviously got the people's main event at Islam Makachev versus Dan Hooker. One of the reasons why people love this one is because they've been kind of circling each other for you know, the last couple of years, and now they've kind of traded positions. Dan Hooker was you know, almost fighting for the title. Now it's Islam that's being touted as kind of like the future uh, of the division. And you know, Dan, after spending majority of his last camp training out of his garage for a striker, no less, now he's stepping up on one month's notice, and you know he's in syndicates in the PI. Do you think that's enough time to prepare? Uh, you know, ideally for a guy like Islam Makachev to beat him. Um, it's not the ideal case scenario. Absolutely not. You know, what would be ideal is for him to have done a full training camp at somewhere like. I don't know. I mean, like a, a big gym that could throw a lot of wrestlers at him. I was going to say AKA, but obviously not. That's, <laughs> that's not going to work. But you know, this like he, he would need to find a, a a wrestling school with a lot of bodies that can just keep working. Maybe TriStar would be a good shout. Mm. Like that would be an ideal sort of circumstance. And you know, to get a full ten weeks to prepare for Makachev. In this case scenario, he's going to be relying on on you know what he's already got, and then whatever he can pick up in training camp. Um, and and it, it might be enough. No, absolutely, it might be enough. But it's hard to see it. <laughs> it's, it's hard to see it, especially because he's he's not one of the, I mean, City Kickboxing are known for their talented strikers, but he's, he's not one of the most calculated out of that training, out of that camp. If you look at the other guys around him, they're far more, you know, a lot of them are far more technical, especially Izzy. You know, it, it's like Hooker likes to put himself at harm's reach a bit too much for me. And in this fight, it's all going to be about the, the decision making and the choosing of his weapons. If he's getting closed down by Makachev, the priority has got to be to defend. And 
Hook is the kind of person that might get caught up and decide he wants to throw a knee instead. And that one knee might land, but it also might land him on his back. You know, that, and that, that's, that's really the most likely scenario. But the truth is, now is the best time to fight Makachev because in six months he's going to be better. So I, I don't know, you know, I don't know when, when the best time to fight him is. It was probably five, ten years ago when he when he was uh, when he was uh, when he was a young teenager. Like it's going to be a hard fight for Dan Hooker. There's no doubt he's got the skills to do it, and he's been competing at the higher level. So you know he's got that comfort and he's got that, uh, you know. I mean, he he feels like like he's like that's his octagon. There's no doubt about that. He, he owned the place when he fought Paul Felder, even though that was a real tough back and forth fight. I, I think he feels like he's going to be able to push Makachev around a little bit in this one once he's once he's established some range. But Makachev just doesn't give people the breathing room to do it, and his striking's great to complement his grappling as well. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a hard night for Hooker, and I, I respect him for taking the fight. But to take it and to not have the ideal preparation is is even is even less ideal. Best time to fight Markachev 20, 25 years ago when he was still in primary school. I was going to say, <laughs> this, this is interesting because, um, and I also think people don't look at it from the perspective of Islam doesn't have probably as much time to prepare for a guy like Dan Hooker, who has a lot of little secrets that he brings with him into the, into the cage and a lot of things that a lot of opponents don't really realize that he's that good at because he's always, always evolving as a fighter as well. What do you think about Dan asking for five rounds instead of three? Because he was on the show talking about it just earlier this week to us. And um, ultimately, who do you think it benefits if it was changed? Well, I mean... <clears throat> I think it ben- I think it benefits Hooker to be honest. You know, I, I like Makachev's reply. It's like, you know, it would only be worse for you basically. But I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case because what one one quality that Hooker brings to the table, which is undeniable, yeah, you know, he's he's a good striker. He's he's dangerous at long range and at close range. Um, it's his toughness. You know, it, it's the thing that will get him into the championship rounds. It's the thing that's got him into those fourth and fifth rounds in the past. And Sometimes you're getting wrestled and you're not getting damaged, and sometimes your conditioning's going to hold up, and and you're not going to, you know, I mean, he he could lose the, he could lose all three rounds and not really get could not really take take a lot of damage. That's where the three rounds works against him because if he had a fourth and fifth round, he'd have two more shots at landing something before he ends up on his back. Mm. You know, I mean, like it's like like my fight against GSP, it wouldn't have been any different if it had been three rounds or five rounds, but. I felt like I had five opportunities to land something instead of three. <laughs> so, you know, that's the, that that's, I guess that's the reality of a five round flight is his toughness would give him more opportunities to land. But Makachev might just come and put it on him in the first two rounds and then he might just, m- might not have anything left. Um, I, I think it's a lot of gamesmanship and I, I like it, but I don't think the USA are going to change it at this point bastards why can't we have nice things ufc uh because he was kind of calling out not really calling out but he was because javier mendez came out and was saying that um his only chance is basically to to finish makachev if he doesn't score a knockout he's not going to win the fight and dan was saying like i know what you're doing you want me to chase that knockout so that i get a bit more you know heavy heavy uh heavy footed and kind of planted and then it's easy to take me down so you're right and 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 i think you know even the five rounds thing there's so much gamesmanship but when dan speaks it's like he speaks as if he knows a secret that nobody else knows <laughs> about Islam Makachev. Obviously, we didn't ask him this because it's like he's not going to give us his game plan, you know, yesterday. But when you look at Makachev, do you see any chinks in the armor? Do you see anything that Dan might know and think, look, there's a part, there's, there's a pretty clear path to victory for Dan? 
Um, you know, the only thing that springs out, obviously, is, you know, Makachev's got that one loss on his record. You know, he, he has been caught, he has been clipped, and and maybe Dan Hooker feels like, I mean, you know, he's just come off a full training camp, he's fought recently. Maybe he feels like he can jump on Makachev really early, and he's got sort of 90 seconds to put a dent in him. You know, that was an observation I always, and we spoke about it before with Poirier. He always looks a little bit tense to me for the first minute or two of the fight. Maybe Hooker feels like he can... Uh, he can catch him with something. Not, you know, it might be a simple observation like, you know, if he stands in a particular stance, it makes Makachev more uncomfortable to shoot. I mean, it's just, it could be a simple observation like that. And then a striker like Hooker then starts stitching on fight-ending scenarios onto it onto the end of these things, and it starts looking like Mortal Kombat. You might be visualizing the flying knee to the head as Makachev level changes or something. You know, the, these are the games that we play inside our heads. I hope he's seen something. Absolutely, because, uh, you know, it would be very difficult to find a, a chink in that armor. Um, but I do think I do think the, the chink in the armor would be would be exposed in the in the four, in the third round as opposed to the first. I think he's going to have to work through some some rough spots before he gets there. And uh, yeah, I think Makachev's only going to get better. It's one of those fights where a part of you, when you analyze it, you go, all right, you know, Islam would probably win it. But then when you think about all those sort of X factors that Dan Hooker brings to the fight, a part of you, a part of you kind of wants to go with him as well, just because of the scenarios that go through our minds. I mean, it happens in the sport. Ultimately, though, man, who's your pick? Who are you leaning towards if you had to sort of say it today with the fun glasses on right now? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, th these are my serious glasses. Ah, okay, all business. I, I, I honestly, you know, I mean, I, th I think I think it's clear cut for Makachev to win a decision. You know, to take him down and control him. I think we might see Hooker looking up at the clock and looking frustrated and kind of hoping that the referee might intervene and stand them up. But I, I expect I expect Makachev not to play any games. He, he's a he's a he's a tactician, and he's not going to get caught up in any kind of you know desire to, to trade with with hooker i don't think we're going to see it i think he'll be intelligent about setting up his takedowns but ultimately that will be his game and and i think hooker will will struggle with that but like you said you know we hang on those moments those, those flashpoints where he might be able to time a knee at the right spot or he might be able to switch his stance and throw a little screw up a cut up the center line or might be just quicker off the mark might land that calf kick that he battered paul felder with in the first round and then makachev's going to be a sitting duck for his long range I, I could give you a few scenarios, but if I if I try and nail it down, I think I think Makachev mauls him for 15 minutes, and we see a very frustrated uh, Dan Hooker on the end of it. I don't want to put like the the horse before the cart, no, the cart before the horse. But um, when you look at Islam, do you do you see him as like a potential future champion? When you see him at, at, with his skill set and assuming that he will improve at least a little bit before you know he potentially gets a title shot do you see what everybody else sees and also because he's so young do you think that he might even be able to surpass habib <clears throat> if he can win that belt not in terms of fame you know obviously habib had the massive you know conified and and you know habib was kind of the first to to you know do it in that way but just in terms of like maybe title defenses uh because it doesn't seem like islam's going anywhere anytime soon it, it, it feels like he's almost just beginning his career yeah, it, it does. And that's what's scary about it. I mean, what is he, 20 and one? Mm. You know, he, he's, he's already laid such a strong foundation in this division and he's already put himself in a position where fights are going to be difficult to get, which means that the UFC are going to keep looking up further up the rankings and, and it's going to open more doors for him. 
I mean, you know, this is no, no, no slight on him, but I, I certainly think that, that Khabib had a, a charisma all the way through his career that is, you know, unique to him. And mm. I think that was a big part of his appeal. Like Mak- Makachev's a, a, a worker. And, and I will say that, you know, technically striking is better than Khabib's. You know, and I think I think Khabib's acknowledged that as well. And there is definitely, definitely room to grow. And, you know, I, this. funnily enough, I was talking to this, talking to somebody about this today. I remember my teacher once saying that if I'm not better than him, um, when you know when I get older, that he's failed at his job, and I mm-hmm. bet Khabib has got that same mentality with Makachev. I bet he wants to wants to make Makachev a much better version of him. There's no there's no ego attached to Khabib. You know he's not going to withhold anything, which means that Makachev's got the, the the benefit of all of that experience of Khabib, as well as the you know the doors opening for him and and whatever training he needs. I, I think I think we, we we're no doubt looking at a champion and. One other thing I'll add to that is he's always got wrestling to fall back upon. I mean, who in the division is going to cause him issues? Maybe, maybe someone like a Gregor Gillespie would be a fun one to watch, or you know, the, you know, the winner of the Gaethje Chandler fight, perhaps. But if you if you think back to the Makachev fight against Armin Sarukian, that was it was one of the best displays of MMA wrestling I've ever seen from both guys. And Sarukian was so competitive, but just not quite. Makachev was always a little bit ahead of him. And, you know, I, I feel like he's always going to have that to fall back upon. He's always going to have that that safety net of I can put you where I want you and beat you up if I can't beat you with striking. And that's a terrifying thing. Man, I can't wait to see this fight. It's going to be so exciting to see who can win it. And again, big kudos to Dan for keeping this fight alive, because I do feel like it's one of those fights where it's kind of like the people's main event, like what Casper said. But speaking of some of the fights leading on later on in the night, we've got Jan versus Corey Sainhagen for the interim belt. And what could be the fight of the night as well? I mean, how do you see Jan's crisp boxing compared to Sanhagen's long and unorthodox, but vastly improved striking? And let's not forget, Sanhagen's really had a bit of a run of being in there and experiencing some of the best guys in the in the division back to back, which, you know, it doesn't hurt his improvements every time sort of we see him in that octagon. Yeah, a fascinating fight. I mean, I, I did my, my BT Sport breakdown on this one as, as opposed to the main event because there was oh, just wow. such interest in it. Um, I mean, usually I, I would cover the main event, but I did a poll on my Instagram. And it was like 72% of people wanted to wanted this fight breaking down. So I, I was fortunate enough to spend the weekend on it. It, it was, it, it's, it's a fascinating bout. The, the, the big difference between the two is one, one of them is a switch stance fight. PTN switches his stance. He uses his footwork very well and he switches his stance to open up his striking options and to help him control the space. Uh, Corey's a fluid stance fighter. There's never a time when he's settled in one stance. You know, I was even sitting here timing him with a with a stopwatch to see how long he was staying in a stance, and it barely meets 15 seconds. Whereas Jan, you know, two three minutes sometimes in a settled stance. So that's a big point of difference, as well as the you know the height and reach of of uh, Corey. Um, but there's also the variety of Corey's game. You know, he's got uh, great kicks. You know, we've seen low kicks, body kicks, and that spinning head kick against Marais. Um, He's got that wicked liver shot that he digs in. He's got a nice step across rear uppercut that he throws that we saw a lot in, in his LFA fights, but has not not seen too much um, in the UFC. But I, I think that might be useful in this fight. Um, loads and loads of striking skills and, and loads of ways to kind of build these combinations. But the difference is that he's he's active, he's throwing, he's testing, he's like 20, 30% shots, just to kind of see what you do with your head. I mean, if you, if you think back to his fight against Bautista, he kept throwing that jab out there to watch where his head was dipping to, 
before he caught him with that flying knee. And with Frankie Edgar, he needed, what, 28 seconds to, to, to get that read on him for the knee? It's, he's got a lot of things he can throw at Peter Yan. And Yan's got great footwork, but he doesn't, he doesn't do a lot when he's moving forward. He uses the, the, the threat of something happening. He, he makes people uncomfortable because he's not doing anything. You know, if you if you watch his fight against um, Taruto Ishihara, like the first first two, like minute of the fight, Ishihara does double the work rate when Yan does nothing, purely because he feels pressured. He feels like he has to do something. Now, the good thing with that is that he's, he's able to squeeze people up against the fence where he can then start cutting them off and, you know, catching them like he did against Jimmy Rivera. But the downside is that he's there to be hit. And and I think that's where Corey can kind of feast a little bit in this fight, you know, use those long range arms to pick him off and then maybe set him up for those flying knees or just circle out and find some space. Um, the, the clinch works really interesting as well, of course, because PT Yan's got such good wrestling, but Corey just throws anything at the table depending on where he's, what position he's in. He's so good at turning the momentum of the fight around and taking control back. Um, I, I honestly think it's a fascinating one. I expected I expected me to be leaning much more towards Peter Yan after doing the breakdown, but Corey's shown me a lot of things that could be a problem for Peter in this fight. Uh, it's very, very evenly matched one. I know you listed a lot of things then, but that knee just always stands out to me because of how quick mm. it is. And it just comes out of nowhere. Like it's such a big strike, a fight ending strike, but he, he just whips it out like nothing. When you watch that, what what is the key? How is he able to do it so well? Obviously he's tall and a lot of the guys are shorter than him, but like against Edgar, it was just perfect. And he threw it so many times against TJ. And if TJ wasn't made out of, I don't know, that guy's so tough. I couldn't believe how he was able to wear that. Um, you know, he probably would have finished TJ. So how does he do it in, in your um, in your breakdown, Dan? Well, like I said, because because he throws a lot of stuff, he, he gets his opponents reacting over and over again. Now, if, if, I'm, if I'm fighting someone and they throw three punches in a minute, say if I'm fighting Tyron Woodley and he throws three punches around, I've got time to think about those punches coming and see them coming and get out of the way of them. If he's throwing 60 punches around, then I've got a lot more to think about. And a lot more of it becomes automatic, reaching, slipping, moving your head in directions that are kind of pre-trained within you before you got tired. So then when you start to get tired or flustered or reactive based on the volume that's coming at you, then you start to open yourself up for things like you like i mean here's here's a great example of how this fight could play out like peter yan as you know he's got that real tight guard he uses his lead hand to kind of skirmish and, and poke at his opponent and this is ambidextrous it doesn't matter what style he uses but because he's got a because he's got a boxing background he uses those same pockets of safety when he's in the pocket trading with someone so if he's marching forward and he starts throwing a shot he might sometimes dip into this space down here, which is safe in boxing, but it's not safe in MMA. And that's, I think, where Corey might be able to catch him because Peter Yan's defense is slipping and tight, but he's he's close range. And, you know, I mean, you're right against about Corey with the knees. You know, it's same thing with his, with his LFA fights. He was landing flying knees and knocking people off their feet. He kept landing it on John Lineker as well, mm. just bouncing off John Lineker's head. But um, TJ Dillashaw, Asun Sao, he, he did it to all of these guys. And, and against TJ Dillashaw, I mean, the risk is that you get caught in the air, right? The risk is that you get caught and slammed to the floor. And when TJ caught him, he was able to push him into an inverted triangle. And that's a good example of, A, 
how he's confident to throw it because he's fine wherever the fight goes and B his ability to adapt in the moment and immediately make his opponent think about defense instead of offense. Um, I, I mean, he's going to throw everything at, at PTN and I feel like something's probably going to get through. It's whether he gets cut down in the process and PTN is able to either club him as he's circling off the fence or get into the floor where he can't quite wriggle as much. Um, but I, I think he's going to be an absolute handful. And, and I will say this as well. I know he's in a division with guys that have got great footwork and he styles his footwork very much on um, uh, Dom Cruz and, and TJ Dillashaw. But I, I actually think it's starting to get to the stage where he's surpassing them. His footwork wow. is very, very slick, very slick. And, and it's purposeful as well. And this is sometimes where the other guys, they, they, they do footwork for footwork's sake. <laughs> you know, they do a lot of bouncing around when they don't really need to be moving at all. Corey doesn't do that. You can see he's constantly planning. I mean, he's, he's like a... He's like an apex predator, really, he, how he's reading people and, and seeing how he picks them off. Not that Jan's any different. He just waits to take a big bite out of you, whereas, you know, Santiago nibbles at you all the way through. Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, people in Australia and New Zealand have a reason to get up at five in the morning to watch these fights. A few reasons, actually. Um, speaking of nibbles, uh, don't forget a good friends at Canadip CBD, a great tasting superior alternative to the traditional dip using CBD in a way that is radical. By the way, the same guys that gave away free tickets to UFC 268, free tickets, free airfare, free luxury lodging. Congratulations if that was you. Um, they do a great job. All flavor, no tobacco, no nicotine nicotine pouches that are spit free and it comes in five core flavors which are wintergreen mint citrus mango american spice uh and look let's be honest man the traditional dip it's a hassle it's addictive and messy it's also over 100 years old uh, other alternatives they're just not good enough for you guys today uh they're either still addictive still messy or taste terrible Canadips is the new evolution in dip allowing you guys to enjoy great long-lasting taste without the downsides uh they use 100 american grown hemp combined with a water dispersible technology so it absorbs rapidly and they've developed a way to deliver cbd through the mouth that nobody else has so you can actually enjoy it isn't that right dennis that's right man and if you want to try it today click the link in the description below and use the code word submission for 20 percent off candidates or visit candidatescbd.com and of course follow them at candidates on instagram for all their latest deals and offers but Cass, we're talking about the fights with dan hardy right now man there are so many crazy x factors coming up this weekend that people can really make some serious serious money on there is only one place to go to make that money and that is at my bookie sign up this week with promo code submission and take advantage of up to a one thousand dollar bonus on your first deposit that's promo code submission grab yourself a free cash bonus on top of free bets and boosted odds and all sorts of great things that my bookie has to offer bet anything anytime anywhere with the code word submission and my bookie for this weekend at ufc 267 cast that's right make that money now i know that these uh winter jackets that you guys love commenting on may not tell the story but it's actually heading into summer here in australia and new zealand and uh i don't know man sun's out guns out and other things are going to be out as well you don't want to be caught with your pants down and have a bush down there. So get the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0, the best grooming tool on the market in the world, I should say, with the 7,000 RPM power, the skin-safe technology. Never, ever have your balls look like a fight of the night candidate ever again. You've got multiple guards so you can trim your pubes to whatever length or texture you like. The LED light, it's waterproof. It's got up to 90 minutes of uh, battery power. The 4.0 
comes with a charging dock uh, and it's wireless as well. So what an easy way to just leave it, let it charge and do it whenever you're ready. And the performance package 4.0 comes the Lawnmower 4.0, the Weed Whacker, Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, the Crop Preserver Ball Toner, the Crop Reviver Ball Toner, and also some underwear and the Shed Travel Bag to keep it all together. A nice little gift, isn't that right, Dennis? Preparing oh, you yeah, for the man. hot guy summer that you deserve. Yeah, that's it, man. Uh, be a total smoke show with Manscaped. What about that travel bag, man? We've used that on multiple trips. That thing is great, and the underwear is so comfortable. You know, shave that bush, improve your reach, and get a couple of inches with Manscaped today. Use the code word SUBMISSION. Get free shipping. That's code word SUBMISSION. 20% off and get free shipping thanks to Manscaped. Man, <laughs> this is going to be a really great summer thanks to Manscaped for everybody listening at home. But Dan, let's look at the main event because it's kind of a battle of the underdogs. Two guys who've had a couple of years uh, where they were precisely on nobody's radar to become champion. And on, considering Glover last fought for the title all the way back in 2014 and got thoroughly dominated by John Jones, this is actually insane that here he is some seven years later, once again fighting for the title. And although he's much older, actually having a pretty good chance. So, Dan, how do you think this money bowl version of Glover with the more percent, the, the wrestling and the, the wrestling heavy game stacks up against Jan as we go into the fights this weekend at UFC 267? Uh, it's, it, it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. I, I, I like both of these guys. I think it's, uh, I, well, first of all, I like the fact that they're both either as old or older than me. So, you know, huh. that's, that makes me feel good about, about things. There's still time. Um, <laughs> it, you know, Jan, Jan's dangerous in every range. He's got great striking, uh, he's good body kicks. He's got, I mean, obviously that, that left hook is his, uh, is his main weapon. The, the one he caught Rockhold and, and Dom Reyes with. Um, but he's got great takedown defense. He's a black belt on the ground. And we saw how well he handles the ground with um, with uh, Nikita Krilov. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a very good grappler. The the, the thing about, about Glover Teixeira, and I talk about this with the guys at the gym, um, we we refer now to the, like the foundational game of mixed martial arts as, as your Glover Teixeira game. Because you can, you can ping that guy with a golf club around the side of the head, and he can have 10% consciousness and still land a double leg still find himself in mount and then still force people to turn and either give their back or give an arm triangle. And that is one of the most impressive things about him because he's what, I think he's 41. Um, as you said, he, he had his last, last title shot back in the 1960s. I, it's, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's incredible what he's doing. He, he's, he's, he's found a, he's found a rhythm and a routine and a foundational game that, it, that even when he's fighting someone that's bigger or faster or hits more more uh, more powerfully than he does or catches him with a big shot. I mean, I, honestly, I did a I did a war room on this for the um, was it Thiago Santos fight, and and it was just like I mean, I, I, honestly, I felt like I was. I felt like someone had sent me the script of the fight. It was Thiago Santos fight. I felt like someone had sent me the script of the fight. It was so obvious what was going to happen because Santos was definitely going to catch him with a big shot and hurt him. He was going to go down and then Santos was going to get that adrenaline rush of excitement because oh, he's gone down. This is the time to finish him, go sprinting forward. And then next thing he's tangled up and he's, and he's in a rear naked choke. Same thing happened to Kutalaba. Uh, same thing happened to uh, Robertson with the arm triangle. Same thing happened to Anthony Smith in the fifth round, getting beaten up. I mean, you know, he gets the he gets the worst round out of the way early, and then he gets stronger as the fight goes on. This is a this is a really competitive match, but I do feel like Jan's got the advantage because I think he's more 
he's, he's less susceptible to damage in his game. And I think he learned his lesson of being excitable against Santos when he ran onto that third round knockout punch. Um, so I expect Yang to kind of hold back, wait for Glover to come to him and, and then catch him probably with that counter left hook, maybe even soften him up with the body kicks as, uh, as well. Um, and then maybe probably catch him as they break the clinch. The, the discipline for Yan is going to be not following Glover to the floor. Like, knock him down, hits the deck, call him back up again. Let's go again. Because mm-hmm. you just don't want to tangle with that guy. He could be half asleep. I mean, imagine having to wake <laughs> that guy up if he was asleep. You'd be you'd be really choked before he knew he was awake. It's You just don't want to tangle on the floor with him, Not not at any point in the fight. I feel like it's almost like the battle of fight IQs because two guys with incredible fight IQs, Glover and Jan, you know, we saw Jan's fight IQ when he fought Israel and obviously Glover being able to sort of switch things up Moneyball style. So I'm very excited to see that. Yeah, 100%. And also like, you know, I think discipline like you kind of summarized is going to be the key for Jan here. Like like even yesterday, like when I was prepping for this, I could just picture like Jan knocking down Glover and then the difference between Glover's past few fights is that Jan waves him up. I'm not following you. Like, come come back. <laughs> but the funny thing is, like, Jan was kind of like a grappler early on in his career. Now he's a striker. Now he's legendary Polish power. But he was all about the grappling early on. And he was saying to us, you know, months ago, he's like, I, I'm not I'm not worried. He said, I'm going to try and get up. I'm going to just, if he takes me down, I'm going to try and get up and try and knock him out. But at the same time, like, you know, if I get the opportunity to submit him, I'll, I'll go for it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not scared. So... We shall see. As we let you go, Dan, just really quickly wanted to ask, uh, what is the latest as far as your next fight? I know last time you were saying John Wayne Parr, that was the big target. Um, are there any updates? Um, is this Tyron Woodley contract signed? Have you gotten a, a contract? What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, well, any more DMs? <laughs> no, no more DMs. But I will say this, my contract is signed. And I Ooh. know that he's got a contract sitting in front of him and the deadline is approaching and he doesn't want to, fi- or doesn't want to sign it. And I don't know why. I don't know what the deal is because terms have been agreed, money's been agreed, dates been agreed, rules and conditions, weight class, everything's been agreed. But he hasn't yet signed the contract. So you tell me, Tyron Woodley, why have you not signed it? The frozen one. See, <laughs> this is exactly my point, right? <clears throat> I wasn't even that interested in fighting him, but when I when I called him out for basically not fighting against Jake Paul, he started getting all upset about it. I called him out because he didn't want to fight and now he doesn't want to fight. The, the easiest way for me to prove my point was to sign him, a, send him a contract and he's not signing it. I mean, yeah, I don't know what his deal is. He, he just, I, I think it's time for him to just call it a day because whether he's waiting around for that rematch with Jake Paul or something, I don't know, but he's just wasting his time at this point. He's, he's talked a big game. He says he wants to fight. He's agreed. He's gone through all the deal. I've got medicals booked in on, on Monday. And if I don't hear from Tyron Woodley by the end of the week, I'll be looking elsewhere. Um, and this these medicals will clear me to fight for one championship as well. So I have got that option. I am in contact with John Wayne Parr. I do want that fight. But it would be ideal to get the Woodley one out of the way first because, uh, you know, start with boxing, then go to Muay Thai, then to kickboxing, then maybe MMA, and then we'll see where it goes. I mean, Sanchez keeps messaging me, so there might even be a bare knuckler in there towards the end. But... I'm having, I'm having a big year in 2020, and I want it to start with Tyron Woodley, so he needs to sign the contract. Look at you, man. Everybody wants a piece of you. So so it's boxing. It's not MMA, right? That's what the contract's for? It'd be boxing. And who, yeah, who's it boxing. with? Who, and who, who, the, who did the offer come from? Well, it's, it's a new promotion, but it's uh, I, I, it'll be the first quarter of next year in the UK. Um, that, that's the that's the plan. That's the deal. And the money that they offered him is good, and he's agreed to it. I know it's more than he's getting anywhere else as well. That's a fact. 
So he just needs to he needs to strap on a pair and uh, sign the contract so we can get this done. Wow. Wait, what what was the date? Did you say when do they want to do it? It'll be March. We're looking at March. Wow. Wow. And just uh, are we looking at sort of welterweight? What kind of weight class are you looking at? Because I know you said you were getting getting uh, shredded last time you were t- talking to us. What are we looking at? Yeah, but uh, but this is the thing. Like I. I knew there were going to be excuses, so I cut off all of the all of the routes for excuses. I, you know, the, these guys, I knew they were going to offer him money that was that was going to be appealing to him. There's plenty of time to prepare. There's no excuse there. I offered him the same weight class that he fought Jake Paul at, which is what 190. Like we can fight at whatever weight class he wants. We can do 205 if he wants. We can do uncapped, unlimited weight. I'm not bothered. He just needs to sign the contract. The money's good. The rounds are good. The promotion's good. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to light him up. I'm going to switch him off and I'm going to prove my point that he doesn't like fighting. Yeah, man. Well, I'll tell you, when it comes to fights as well, this is a fantastic fight that fans have a lot of interest in and you guys have this great rivalry. So from his perspective, this is a great way to sort of come back after that Jake Paul fight. So if if he does see this, Dan, what is your message to Tyron Woodley if he sees this interview? Uh, just, just, just get your little pen out, the one that you wrote your your I love Jake Paul on your finger, and wrote and write I'll fight Dan Hardy on this contract and send it back to the promoter, and then we then we can get started. Dude, I'm excited, man. This is awesome. This is awesome. Well, I hope the fight comes together uh, for both of you. Follow the man on Twitter and Instagram at Dan Hardy MMA. Obviously, the incredible YouTube channel, Full Reptile. And of course, the Dan Hardy Breakdown Show on BT Sport. Uh, of course, check out The War Room and his book, Full Reptile. Dan, thank you so much for your time, man. The tradition goes strong, still going steady. Always appreciate you, man. I think there's going to be a lot to talk about uh, the next time we chat. Thanks, guys. Always good talking to you. Enjoy the fights.